And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 4. We'll be covering the entire section of chapter 4. Oh, and before you're seated, I forgot. If you guys will please stand with me and we are going to pray this and then I am going to read Revelation chapter 4. Read this with me. Pray this with me. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carmelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, they cast down their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, are, you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we leave, if you guys remember, we were in the seven churches. We finished those up before Advent and then we had Advent. And as we leave the message to the seven churches, we enter a door into the vast dreamlike vision where Jesus takes John on a picture of the throne room of God. The throne is at the center of all things and is at the center of all our worship or all worship is directed to he who sits on the throne. And he who sits on the throne is both God and the lamb as we will see. This throne room is politically and socially reorientating. It's meant that we should see it as such for our own life and the life of the church. This throne room concerns itself with the life of our worship. And as we read about in the Bible, here, 
and we hear about in the Bible the kingdom of God over and over and over again. This is the throne that is in this picture here in Revelation chapter 4. This is the throne of that kingdom, the kingdom of God, which we pray for. And as above all other thrones and all other kingdoms, that's why we say Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords because of the picture of this throne. This is the kingdom we prayed for this morning when we say, Lord, will your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And here we get a sneak peek at what will be the center of this kingdom. We see a lot in this throne, in this throne room. We see a lot, but all of it points to the majesty and glory of God our Father and to the Lamb. And as we allow this scene to come into our lives of prayer and worship, the throne room and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be subversive, not only politically in the world, but in our lives as well. It'll take away the ungods. It'll take away the idols that we have in our lives, the little idols that we like to supplant, and it'll supplant them with a vibrant worship of a more alive God and Savior than we can imagine. Revelation 4 and 5 remind me over and over this week as I was looking at it about praying the Psalms. We've been praying this into our lives for a long time here at Grace and Mercy Church. That we were praying that the Lord willing, this prayer will come and we will be able to see the glory of God, see the worthiness of God, see the holiness of God, that we will not only see it now, but we will see where it's impacted us in our past and we will see it for a long time to come. And if you look in this throne room and if you can place yourself there, it is complete with audio and visual stimulation and the sights and sounds that are unbelievable and amazing. We can't miss that all of the stuff that is going on is pointing to God and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We don't get caught up in the emeralds. This is not who we are as a church. We don't get up and it caught up in the distinct meaning of jasper and carmelian and the rainbows or the sea of glass or the winged creatures and the fact that they are full of eyes which is kind of trippy these things can only make sense in the fact that they're all pointing to the center of the throne and worshiping the one on the throne i don't know about you guys and i don't know where you are but i am 100% totally convinced that of God's kingdom to come. I believe it's here now. I believe it's not yet at the same time. I know they're contradictory, but I believe them both. I think what Jesus is doing through John here in this book is absolutely pastoral, meaning I believe it pastors us into seeing something that is unbelievable. He is showing us the meaning of life in this new kingdom. He is showing us the realities that are so far beyond us, but they are more true than we have categories for. And we get to live in light of these truths that Jesus brings into our lives. If we do live into the light of these truths, these unseen truths, truths that say you are pure, spotless, holy, truths that say, 
your sins are forgiven. True, that, that says that God cares for the poor and needy and broken of this world. If we believe these truths and live in the light of them, we will not be seen as sane people. We will be just a little bit out there, a little bit zealous, a little bit of one of those types of Christians at times who believe God's kingdom is more real, is way bigger and way better than any earthly government or social club. If this, in this, we put ourselves at being risk of being ostracized from our community and we become outsiders and thus, in this, we become the light that Jesus intended for us to be. We become the salt that adds a little bit of good flavor to this world because we're living out of this God being on a throne. Our hope for our lives and the lives of others lies outside of space and time and in a throne room with a crystal sea. My prayer all this week is that we can have this scene embedded into our hearts and our minds and our lives, the throne room of God. That we can remember that God is on his throne with Jesus, that God will replace all the little idols that we have, that God will give us a bigger vision for who he is. And that we won't get hung up on all the external things, but instead focus on God, our Father, and Christ, His one and only Son, who is our Lamb. And we see, as we see God in this fuller picture, we will be strengthened and encouraged to carry on seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'll put it this way. I love that the placement of chapter 4 and 5. It's right after the churches and it's before we get into this futuristic and apocalyptic type visions with dragons and whores of Babylon and all that fun stuff that we get to talk about in the future. But as we can see, there are, there are seven seals and seven judgments and seven trumpets and all this. And all we need to know and be sure is before we get going, that God is on his throne, that God is on the throne, that there's no one else to, that, that is in charge of this. In our world and in our time, we need to be assured that Jesus is big enough to handle our problems, our personal problems, as well as the problems of this world. And before we dive in and see all there is to see in this life to come, we need to know. We need to know it. And when I say no, I'm not only talking about head, but I'm talking about heart and mind and soul. We need to know who is on the throne forever and ever. Who is above all for all eternity from past to future. Who is the ruler with a master plan who can make sense of all this chaos that is on earth? And as we get a look inside this door, we get this new vision. The one who sits on the throne is in the center of this amazing spectacle. His appearance is of jasper and carmelian. Both are amber stones in tone. And if a rainbow hit them, it might appear like they were on fire. Flames that don't consume, kind of like the burning bush where Moses was. They don't consume, but there he is. 
He looks radiant. And then around his throne is pretty amazing too. You have 24 other thrones, littler thrones, with 24 elders who are clothed in white, whiteness, white garments that the God the Father bestowed on them through Christ. And they have golden crowns on their heads. And I believe these elders, that I believe that these elders are the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. These represent Israel. So all we read in the, New, the Old Testament and they represent the church, all that we read about in the New Testament. The establishments, both Israel and the church that God has put in place. They were ordained by Him to serve His purposes. His kingdom to come, it comes through Israel. It comes through the line of David. And it also comes through the church. And so we have these foundational pieces where the twelve apostles... And the twelve tribes are represented. And from the throne itself, we have flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. None of this seems to harm God because He is bigger than all of this. We also see around the throne seven burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So we see the Father, and we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit in this throne room of God, all encouraging us to worship him who is seated on the throne. Before we get there, we have before the throne the sea of glass like crystal. A sea of glass like crystal. In fact, this sea appears to be calm and show us that God can calm even the most tumultuous seas. Think about water in the Psalms. There is the psalm, you know, he leads me beside still water. But most of the time, the psalms spoke of water as engulfing, as, as drowning, as something that was too much for them to handle. And here we see this sea is calm. Whenever we see water in the Bible, most of the time, it's unpredictable at best. And yet here it is smooth and calm by the power and the word of our God. He can calm any storm in our lives. And we get to see around the throne as well with four living creatures full of eyes. Try drawing this as an art project. Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Creatures like lions and oxen. One with a face like a man and the other one like an eagle in flight. I don't know how he's sitting there and how that looks, but he's an eagle in flight. Oh, and each one of these creatures have six wings. And all those six wings are full of eyes. It, these are odd-looking creatures. These visions we have seen before, by the way. In the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Daniel. But I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure what they're supposed to mean. What each one symbolizes to me is a mystery to me. And I'm sure that you can find Bible teachers that will explain each one of them to you with great certainty and in great detail. But I'm interested in their activity here. I'm going to assume that all of these with eyes all around can see better than you and I. And since they're full of eyes, they can see. And when they see, they say this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And they repeat this over and over and over again on a ceaseless loop. 
They worship. And then as living creatures, they sing this. The 24 elders, as they, the, the living creatures sing this, the 24 elders fall down. They cast their crowns and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we have this beautiful picture of a holy and worthy God. God is holy and worthy, and we are to worship him. Jesus is holy and worthy, and we are to worship him. The ceaseless activity of praise and worship, singing and proclaiming over and over again the worth and the holiness of God. The 24 elders and the living creatures are selflessly worshiping God. They are not making much of themselves. They're not trying to draw attention to themselves, but they are directing our attention to the one they sing of and bow towards. They are falling down and casting their crowns. All the jewels and positional status that God gives to all in this throne room are all given up for the sake of worship. And this is my prayer. My God, that you would let our hearts and our lives be lived out as worship as if it's the greatest gift we have to give. Just like these elders and these creatures. See, the word holy is it's, it's interesting because it's a unique purity. And the triple injunction here of holy, as we see in the re- repetition in the Psalms, remain, remember that repetition of the phrase of the words is meant to drive home the meaning, the, the, the sincerity or the seriousness of the word. And these, these creatures cry, holy, holy, holy. God is uniquely holy. He's uniquely holy. He's uniquely pure. And then worthy is simply of worth. God is holy and worthy. He was and is to come, which means he is now too. He's worthy of all our glory, all our honor, and all power goes unto him. He created us. And we exist by his will. And when all is stripped away, at the center of our worship is the one who sits on God's throne. The throne is a symbol for sovereignty. It's a symbol that he is above all things, that he reigns perfectly, that he is worthy and he is seated on high in his rightful position with Jesus, who is our risen Messiah. This is really the king, not a fake king, not somebody who can be uh, ousted out by elections. This is the king. And if we believe this, this this shifts our political affiliations. If we really believe this, this shifts the way we worry, the way we think about our worries. If we really believe this, it shifts our life to center our lives on the one who is in the center of the throne. We center our life on the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as we worship him, as we join in the worship that's already taking place, we are being reestablished. We can say it this way. We are being remade. We are being made new. We know the who of our worship. God and Jesus Christ. 
And I'd suggest that we can even see how, our wor- how to worship in this picture. We center our lives like everything else is centered around who is seated on the throne. We live in humility before him. The elders all cast down their crowns and bow down. We live in humility before him. We believe that he is holy and we declare it with our mouths. And we declare the fact that we are made holy because Jesus made us holy. And we sing, worthy are you God, our Lord and God with our lives. And you know, when we do this, we do this ceaselessly. Like these creatures, we never stop. So three notes, and then I'll end this chapter. Chapter four and five are tied together. And we'll get to chapter five next week. Next week, we will see we will see Jesus and learn more about him and how he fits into this picture of this throne room. And chapter four is what they call a theophany. A theophany is giving us a picture of God, our father. And chapter five gives us our Christology, which is a picture of Jesus or Jesus Christ, giving us a picture of Jesus combined with God. The father is the full picture of the throne room of God. So we're halfway there. In chapter 4, we can see God in his power, in his sovereignty, ruling over all. And in chapter 5, we will see that Jesus also, as his vulnerable sacrifice, is also ruling and reigning. And we need both chapters for this fuller picture. The second thing is a reminder. We don't develop our theology on the obscure. This is not how we do theology. And we're going to get into plenty of obscure in Revelation. This is only the beginning of it. There is a lot in this vision. I'm not sure what it all means. And I've read a number of commentaries that describe how all the mysteries will take place that we will walk in in Revelation. Some of them seem to make logical sense. Some of them seem to work. Some are a bit wacky. But I'd suggest that we can study this, and I would suggest that we do, and we can study this as deep as we want and try to make sense of it and try and make sense of it and how it lives out in our lives, that it is good and fine to study these things as long as we don't lose sight of the one who is on the throne. Never lose sight of that. We don't make a bigger deal out of the glass sea the elders, the lightning or the thunder or the creatures than we do about the one who is seated on the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. We just don't. And lastly, as we can see in the beginning of this chapter, that John is led by Jesus and was in the Spirit. May we live this way. May we too be led by Jesus and walk in His Spirit. And as we walk with Jesus, as led by His Spirit, this life will be full of mysterious and glorious scenes that only God can give us. There will be much that we won't be able to make sense of, and yet we will be there with Jesus. God will be at the center of our lives, and we will be doing our best to be at the center of His will as we worship Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say this, Grace and Mercy Church, I long to be a people who are led by Jesus and are in the Spirit. Let us not ignore that piece of it. Now, may we live our lives knowing and declaring the holiness 
and worth of God. And may this shape us more and more into his image. In Jesus' name, amen.